is Reverend Aaron Hayes Cook and I'm the moderator of Elizabeth Presbytery and we are filled with joy to celebrate with you today for God's work and prayers that have been answered to bring him here with you today. I'm excited to celebrate with you and I want to invite you to stand if you're able as we call God's presence to us today and be reminded that God walks with us. Will you join with me in the call to worship by responding by fold? There are different gifts there are different ways of serving God. God works through different people and different ways. Each one is given a gift by the Spirit. Let us worship God. I invite you to sing together as we sing hymn 8482. Praise ye the Lord Almighty.
Using your bulletin, please join me as we pray the invocation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our sins before you. We have failed in more ways than we like to admit. Instead of being united in faith, we find ourselves divided by selfish motives and personal gain. We've left undone those things we ought to have done. And we have done those things we know are against your will. Father, forgive us. Restore us to the blessedness found in your salvation. Make us whole again so that we may be holy vessels filled with living water. We pray that you will transform us so that we may follow you more closely. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hear what comfortable words our Savior Christ says that all who truly turn to him, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, Let us feel that forgiveness and celebrate it. Amen. We have the privilege to come to Jesus Christ to pray. And in these troubled times, before I read this prayer, let's close our eyes and let's just Remember that we are in the presence of the Holy God. And then I'll begin to pray. (coughs) Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you as we walk the Calvary Road. We come to reflect and repent, to remember and rejoice. We reflect on your sovereign goodness and grace to us. And we reflect on the challenge to take time this Lent to ponder your call on our lives, our call to discipleship. We reflect on how your Holy Spirit speaks to us in the depths of our own spirit. We repent our attempts and our own energies to be faithful in that calling. And we repent our complicity with the evil within us and the evils around us. May we be ministers of reconciliation in all of the countless challenges of life and death issues. And we repent our failing to heed your spirit's invitation to us to fully trust in your promises and spiritual empowerment. We remember all who are suffering injustice as immigrants and homeless, as well as all suffering from natural disasters here in our own country. We remember all suffering from the ravages of war around the globe. We remember all who have dedicated their lives to evangelism and mission here and abroad. And we remember all who 
seek our intercessory prayer in their circumstances. And we rejoice that you have called Ian to pastoral leadership here at Pluckman. May he, the session, deacons, and all in leadership challenge and encourage the Pluckman Church family in their call to be ministers of reconciliation through your Holy Spirit. May all of us gathered today accept the call to walk the Calvary Road, leading to Christ's atonement work on the cross, and then on to his glorious resurrection, which prefigures our own resurrection as well. Thank you for the privilege to pray in your presence, remembering the prayer your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But the highest kingdom, our power, and glory forever. Amen. Let us stand and sing the hymn that's in the bulletin. Lord of truth, speak through your servant.
Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Today I will be reading from the New Standard Revised Version of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. Now let us listen to the word of the Lord. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. So here we are at an installation. It has always struck me that Presbyterians seem to go out of our way to use the most mundane, <laughs> drabest language possible for the very people and the occasions that we want to honor. For instance, those elected and consecrated as every congregation's leaders, the nobility among every congregation are not given any noble name as sages or mother and father superior or anything like that. You are elders. And until recently, that was literally true. Everybody was an old person who was, uh, was an elder. And in recent decades, uh, of course, sometimes we use the term ruling elder to distinguish between the term for ministers as teaching elder. And beyond individual churches, Presbyterians have the presbytery, the regional group of churches. And the person chosen for the honor and the sacred duty of leading the presbytery every year is not given any highfalutin name, that person is a moderator. <laughs> Which is, of course, better than the title we give 
to people who are leading the various councils and commi committees, that person is a chair. <laughs> and when the Presbyterian denomination as a whole comes together, now it's every other year, through elected representatives, they come together to worship and to pray together and seek the will of God. An august occasion, certainly a holy occasion. And that, of course, we call a general assembly. <laughs> so today, here we are for what truly is an august occasion, and we call it an installation. And I've been looking around for some electric outlets <laughs> for an installation. Some of you may remember a minister who was here back in the early 80s, uh, Bob Pryor, who was the interim minister at the Westfield Presbyterian Church. And Bob came here from Tehran. And he came here because he couldn't stay in Tehran. Uh, he had to flee along with his family and other Westerners at the time of the Islamic uh, Revolution in Iran. So Bob came here from having spent a number of years as the pastor of the English-speaking Christian church in Tehran. So they had congregants from really probably every English-speaking country in the world and of course from many different Christian denominations. And Bob said um, that actually it generally wasn't hard to tell what people's backgrounds were because the first word they said to him when they were speaking to him generally gave it away. So the Roman Catholics said father. The Orthodox, of whom there were only a few, sometimes said father, and it was occasionally your eminence. Southern Baptists said uh, preacher or brother. Lutherans always said pastor, Methodist reverence, and the Presbyterians, he said, called him Bob. <laughs> well, the gospel of Christ is so deep, so rich and multifaceted that no branch of the faith can even get all the emphases that we all need. And I think what Presbyterians have hold of, what our keep it simple, drab as dirt language means to keep before us is the truth that we were reminded of in the scripture passage that George Frick just read, that we are earthen vessels that we have this incredible treasure, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we have it in the earthen vessels that are us. Or as other modern translations say, in clay jars or clay pots. There is a literally mind-boggling, earth-shaking treasure that has been entrusted to us. And we are part 
of God's plan for conveying this treasure to the world of our own time and our own place. But we are not the treasure. Now, one of the things that I think all of us here today agree on is that Ian Rankin is pretty special. I know something of how Ian was regarded at New Providence Presbyterian Church, and I know a lot about how he was regarded at Fellowship Village, because I was and am there. And Ian at Fellowship Village was and is loved. In fact, as far as I know, universally loved, and I don't know that there's any other situation with a minister and a congregation that I've ever heard of where you can say somebody is universally loved. In fact, it feels to me that like the crowd of people here from Fellowship Village, which is two bus loads, <laughs> plus I don't know how many individual car loads, that we are here acting almost like the father of the bride. <laughs> the father of the bride in an old-fashioned wedding, we're here to give him away. <laughs> With all the weeping and the joy, the pride and the hope that parents of a bride or groom bring to those celebrations. Hating to see you go, but recognizing with some excitement and real happiness a new and important and necessary chapter in your life. So we think Ian is pretty special, pretty splendid, and we know he is a clay pot. And you, the Pluckerman congregation, this blessed congregation, you are something special. I know something of you from having been in the same presbytery with you for decades. I've preached here a couple of times a long time ago. Um, your interim pastor, Heather Yaden, who is a longtime friend, spoke to me recently very highly about you. And then from talking recently with Ian at more depth, I know that you are pretty special. As Christian people, you have known inspiration and disappointment. You've worshiped, prayed, worked, and studied with each other, disagreed with each other, You've known the kingdom-like joy of deep fellowship and sometimes the pain of ruptured relationships within the very body of Christ. Most of all, maybe, you've hung in there. Last week when I talked to Ian about uh, what my sermon title and the chosen scripture passage would be, told him about the scripture passage, but that I planned to omit verses 8 through 11 because they seem so heavy and maybe negative for a happy occasion. 
for the beginning of new things, maybe it wasn't appropriate to read all about that despair and that hardship that Paul writes about a recent personal experience he had had. And do you know what your new pastor told me? He said, this needs to be there. Because this is their experience. This is who they are. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Struck down, but not destroyed. It's an impressive experience, an impressive testimony. I honor you, people of this congregation. I thank God for you. And you are clay pots. It is as clay pots, saturated with the treasure of the gospel, that you are the holy community. In a community of faith, a real community of faith, we see in this one, in that one, some aspect of the glory of God, some beautiful revelation of the spirit at work that we would not know otherwise. It's from each other, pastor, and people alike, that we become aware of particular missions, particular needs, or particular issues that need to be addressed and which we would not otherwise be aware of us, none of us on our own. God speaks to us in the beauty of what we see in another person's life as the Spirit works in that life. And God speaks to us also in real Christian community in the ways that we challenge each other. Sometimes that is a direct challenge. I think of a couple of times that people I have known have said things to me that were rebukes but which turned out to be blessings. I remember when a friend um, in another church just said, how are you doing? And I guess undoubtedly wanting some sympathy. I talked about how harried I was and how overworked and how people just weren't coming through with this and that. And she took me by both shoulders and she said, Helen, this is not from the Lord. Now my initial response wasn't positive. <laughs> but this is someone that I trusted. I think if it had been a stranger, it wouldn't have, have gotten through to me. But this is someone I trusted. I knew that she walked the walk of faith and not just talked the talk. That she wanted what was good for me and then I saw that she was right. And that rebuke, this is not 
from the Lord has been a freeing message to me that comes back at various times in the years since then to say, recognize what you go through because you were following God's will and recognize when you're just lost in your own stuff. It was a very valuable challenge. And sometimes we in the fellowship challenge each other through personality clashes. Now I'm sure none of you knows of that <laughs> experientially, but this is the way it seems to work. Another minister in this presbytery spoke recently of a story from Kathleen Norris, a wonderful writer on spiritual things, a Presbyterian elder in South Dakota who has received a lot of benefit and had a lot of spiritual fellowship with monks in a Benedictine order near her there in South Dakota. And she wrote about uh, the time when uh, the monastery decided it would be helpful to them to have an outside consultant come in, live with them for a little time, um, see what they needed to be doing better and so forth. So they brought in somebody who uh, stayed with them for a week or more, living with them, interviewing the, the particular uh, brothers there, and then saying to them at the end, I don't know what to tell you because what you have here should not be working at all. <laughs> when you share what matters most to you and what you want to see here and what you want to change, he says, everybody is on a different page. And yet, he said, you know, after being with them, I see that in spite of that, you love each other. You love each other. And somehow it works. We fantasize about the perfect pastor and the perfect congregation. How great it would be. Oh, how we would grow and how we could love the Lord and accomplish great things for the Lord in such a perfect church. But what God actually gives us, what God has chosen to work in and through of course, is not that ideal community, but just us, as we are, praying and praising and sharing delight and prickly, burdened with our own egos, people of such possibility and such limitation, such downright orneriness that it would make an angel weep. My prayer for you, Ian, and the members of Pluckman Church, what I hope for every Christian community is that you may live <coughs> conscious of what Paul describes in this letter to the church in Corinth. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine in darkness, who has shown in our hearts. We are clay pots. Jesus Christ alone is the one who lived for us, died for us, rose again, and lives even now, bringing the world into his kingdom. Love each other, forgive each other, and be each other's servants. For in doing so, you will know, as every believing Christian congregation does, then you will know the transcendent power of the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Bless you all. The Gospel of Jesus Christ tells us, yes, that we are all clay pots, that we are beautiful, fragile people built in the image of God, and each one of us has a way that we can serve God in many of the beautiful different ways to use our gifts. And so in a moment, we are going to receive an offering of our own fruit of our labor. And the offering that we will receive today will go to those who are preparing for ministry, for scholarship opportunities for them as they continue to learn and to grow and to discern their call so that at one day they may too may stand in this place and in any other place in the church and say that yes, I will say yes to God and I will serve you. So I invite you to share your offering uh, with us as we lift them up to God.
Will you join with me in prayer? God, you are the potter and we are the clay. You mold us and shape us by your word and by your church. And for that, we are grateful. We ask that these simple gifts might be a sign and a symbol for those as they journey along the way, for those who uh, continue to discern their call to serve you, God, we ask that things might be a blessing to them, and ultimately that that might be a blessing to your church. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to invite Reverend Ian Rankin to join me up front, and all of those who will be joining us for the installation today. I just have a few questions for you today. Just a few. <laughs> a few as a reminder of uh, the, the yes that you said to God so many times over and also in the yes that you said to, to this congregation to serve and love them. For that, we are grateful. So Ian, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church, as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do, and will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you? I do. Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? I will. Will you, in your own life, seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? Do you promise to further the peace unity and purity of the church do you and will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy intelligence imagination and love will you I will. amen questions for the congregation do we the members of this church accept reverend ian rankin as our pastor chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to guide us in the way of Jesus Christ. Do we? We do. Do we agree to encourage him to respect his decisions and to follow as he guides us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Do we? We do. Do we promise to pay him fairly and provide for his welfare as he works among us, to stand by him in trouble and share his joy? Will we listen to the word he preaches 
welcome his pastoral care and honor his authority as he seeks to honor and obey Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we and will we? Gracious God, we rejoice that you call each one of us, that you call us and give us gifts to serve you and one another. We thank you for this covenant that Ian and the people of this congregation have entered into. We thank you for the journeys that have led each one to this place, for the joys and the celebrations, for the sorrows, for the painful moments, for the ways, Lord, that in each thing, you work together to bring good, to bring healing, to bring peace. We pray that your spirit will burn brightly in this place. Make all those who serve you here pure in heart, as those who have the mind of Christ. Give them the vision to discern your purpose for the church in this place, that they might together faithfully serve this community, shine brightly in our world, Lord, be with each one of us, as daily we seek to do your will, as daily we seek to follow you, as daily we try to be the people that you have called us to be. Speak to our hearts, our minds, our spirits this day and each day, and together may we bring you glory now and forevermore. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, <coughs> Reverend Ian Rankin, you are now a teaching elder in and for this congregation. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him and all God's people say, Amen. quickly say thank you to Ian for inviting me to present the charge to the pastor. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is John McBurney, and I've been an elder, and I'm an elder here at this church. I've been a member for many, many years, and several years ago, I um, was called during a, well, we'll say the dark period of this church recently, um, to be an elder. And in my work as an elder, I was fortunate to be called to the pastor nominating committee. And then to be its chair. <laughs> it, was, it was with great pleasure that we found ourselves called to Ian, and we found that he had also been called to us. I feel it's really important to give you a very brief insight into how the Spirit has been moving towards this day. There are two phrases that come to mind if I had to describe this process. The first one is the most quoted biblical verse that isn't in the Bible. It is, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> and the other, which is from the Bible, Ecclesiastes, is, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Or to paraphrase the way I like to put it, everything happens in God's time. <coughs> Pastor Ian preached to us, 
in 2014 in the midst of a very dark time. And at the time, I know I turned to my wife and I said to her, literally, why can't we have a pastor like that? <laughs> and I've talked to several members who did the same thing. So I'm not alone in that. So here we are, four years later, two interim pastors and much hard work in healing. And we already in installation service. And so now, the time comes to charge you in with what I believe God is, eh, God is calling you to accomplish here at Buckingham. I hereby charge you, Reverend Ian T. Rankin, with this simple phrase, of which I'm sure that you are quite now familiar. I charge you to know God's love, to show God's love, and to share God's love. Which, as you know, is the vision statement for this church. I charge you to know God's love in your own life as well as in the life of the church. To take time to study, to reflect, and to pray. <coughs> to see and understand the manifestations of that love around you, both here and outside these walls. To feel the comfort of God's unconditional love. To take time for your own spiritual journey as you journey with us. To recharge your spirit in the knowledge of the love of God. As it says in Psalm 119, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have humbled me. Let your steadfast love become my comfort according to your promise to your servant. And I charge you, Ian, to show God's love. And to be honest, I actually looked up the definition of the word show just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. The internet had three definitions of show. The first is to be or allow or cause to be visible. The second is to display or allow to be perceived. The third is to demonstrate or prove. And so I charge you to be visible in your displays of God's love. As I researched a verse to put with this part of the charge, I found that in the Old Testament, as we talked about, every mention of God's love is not just God's love, it's God's steadfast love. As in, God's steadfast love endures forever, which is a phrase repeated many times in the Old Testament. Now, steadfast love, we've heard it so many times, but what does it mean? So, it was back to the dictionary. I found that steadfast means resolutely, or dutifully firm, or unwavering. And so, Ian, while I charge you to be visible in your displays of God, God's love, I charge you with being unwavering in that love. Regardless of the situations, the personalities, the difficulties, the outside pressures, <coughs> be unwavering in the love God has given us. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And finally, I charge you to share God's love. We've all been taught to share, like it says in the book, All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. But really, what does it mean to share? And so, one last time back to the dictionary. When share is defined as an action, as in this case, the definition is to have a portion of something with another or others. So I believe the key to sharing is not just giving love to another, 
It's having that love while giving. It means that the giver and the receiver both experience it. We speak of being the body of Christ, with each having his or her own part. We share in that body the love, or more appropriately, the steadfast love of God. Be active in sharing that love. Remember to keep some of it while giving it to those around you. In that way, you are nourished in your service to us, and by your service, we are nourished. Share with us the boundless love that God offers us all. I'd like to finish by borrowing part of Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 3. Ian, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. Good afternoon. It's an honor and privilege to give the charge to the congregation today. Although you don't know me, I know Ian. I have been participating in the men's Bible study for more than a decade that Ian started. We camped in Mexico together and built houses with the Mormon ministers. And many times we've broken bread together, shared lots of issues and concerns and laughs. Ian's a friend of mine. As I prepared today, I studied the Bible, I prayed, went to the internet, <laughs> checked out the Book of Order, and I talked to a, some trusted advisors. One young pastor gave me a very critical piece of advice. He also happens to be my son-in-law. He said, Doug, keep it short. <laughs> as we gather to celebrate and install Ian as the pastor of this church, it's important to understand roles and responsibilities. First, it's important to acknowledge and always remember that God called in to this congregation. You do not have a pastor. He does not have a church. But together, you have a commission from God. In Ephesians, Paul describes the organization and structure of the church and how some were called to be pastors and others to other roles. The ultimate aim of the church is to attain the whole measure and fullness of God. From him, the whole body, joined together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. But what is that work? Well, when you look at the Book of Order, it's pretty clear. It states that Ian's primary responsibility is to study, teach, and preach the Word of God, administer baptism and holy 
um, Supper and to pray with and for you, the congregation. He has other responsibilities, but those responsibilities he shares with you. For those of you who are elders, it's your responsibility, shared with Ian, to encourage the congregation in the worship and service of God, and to equip and enable them for their task within the church and their mission in the world. Will you own that responsibility? And for those of you who are deacons, how do you plan to work with Ian in the ministries of sympathy, witness, and service, which you share with Ian? If you're neither a deacon nor an elder, you're not off the hook. You too have responsibilities. You're the body. And just as each of us has one body with many members, and not all members have the same function, so in Christ, we who are in one body, and we are many in one body, and each member belongs to one another. You have different gifts given to you by God. So what gift do you have to give? Serving, teaching, encouraging, prophesying, Contributing to the needs of others. Leadership. Showing mercy. Whatever your gift, whatever your role, embrace it as part of the body of Christ. I'd like to offer some practical ways for you to do your part. First, put Christ first in your life. Do that and everything else is easy. Second, participate. Show up. Be present in body, mind, and spirit. Embrace your role and fulfill your responsibilities. Third, pray. Pray for Ian. Pray for his family. Pray for yourself. Pray for the congregation. Pray for the world. Pray for God's will to be done. Fourth, embrace him and embrace his family. Take an interest in his life. Take an interest in the life of Ian's family. Get to know him as a friend. Offer him time and hospitality and be an encourager. Invite him to be part of the life of this body and give him time and room for relaxation and privacy, both for Ian and for his family. Fifth, demand his best, but temper your expectations and your words. Ian is very gifted, so graciously accept those gifts and do not burden him with responsibilities that are not his forte. Let him define and shape the style of his ministry, recognizing that what you expect of him 
and what God expects of them are not necessarily the same. Focus on the important things, and don't ask him to treat each of your preferences as though it was a mature Christian conviction. Sixth, don't be afraid to have honest and difficult conversations about things that matter. We don't do enough of that today, either in the church or in the world. We complain more often to others, but not to the person we should be complaining to or talking to. We imagine bad motives. We disengage. We let it fester. In the church, we should confront issues privately, have a conversation, listen to each other, and seek God's will. Seventh, compensate him fairly. I challenge you to be a role model for other congregations. And I share with you Jesus' instructions, which I think is a good approach in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Eighth, trust him. Give him time and the benefit of your doubts. Both God and you chose him to be the pastor of this congregation. So trust him as a legion. During the sermon, Helen talked about it was like being the father of the bride. Well, I think calling a pastor is like falling in love. And the service of the installation is like the wedding service. Tomorrow, you face reality. <laughs> if you acknowledge that this relationship is ordained by God, it will be successful. Work together and encourage one another and share the burden. There's a beautiful story in Exodus that illustrates this well. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Moses told Joshua to go pick his men to do battle. And Moses said he would go up on the hill. And that he would stand there with the staff of God in his hands. So the next day, the battle begins. Joshua men go out. He obeyed. He went out to fight. And Moses went to the top of the hill. And he lifted up his hands. As long as Moses kept his hands up, the Amalekites would push back. But it was a long day. Moses grew where his hands would come down. At which point, Joshua's men would fall back. The Amalekites would get the advantage. So as the day progresses, Moses is getting more and more tired. So as the Israelites come and put a stone beneath him that he can sit on. So Moses sits down. But his hands are still weary. Aaron and her came up, one on each side, and held his arms and lifted him up. And at the end of the day, the Israelites defeated 
in our fellowship hall and we can go down through this door here uh, if you need some assistance we have a ramp out there and you can work your way around and back in and we'll have a time of, of fellowship and we'll be able to, to greet one another uh, at the conclusion of the service. I'm speaking of this as a conclusion and often the, the benediction is, see, is seen as the ending of something. But this is not an ending. Friends, this is a brand new beginning. Today's benediction should be ready, set, go. <laughs> But as we've been reminded again and again this afternoon, we are not alone in this. We are here <coughs> together. So as a symbol of that, I want to invite you to take the hand of someone beside you. And let's share God's blessing with one another. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace and the blessing of God Almighty Father, Son and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain in your hearts forever.